I had this thing about the music stand. It has to be right in the middle. It has to be right in the middle. And Pat had it right here. It's like, are you, are you trying to bother me, Pat? But I mean, you probably can't see it, but there's a line right here, and it should just divide me right in half. I don't know why. That's just always at the other church, too. It's like this line right down the middle. It's like, okay, one foot's on each side. It's like the continental divide, you know? Got to be each way. Uh, as if you can't tell from my shirt, um, someone in this church is getting old. I, uh, that, that'd be me. I uh, had my 40th birthday party here at the church on Wednesday. Carol, my lovely, beautiful, deceptive wife, uh, Trixie, she's Trixie, she uh, took me here to the church and, and many of you were here and I really appreciate that. And actually, it's kind of weird. I'm still actually overwhelmed by that whole thing. And, and she put together a beautiful uh, DVD of my life. And it's pretty cool. You really feel honored. Uh, you're realizing you're at your only, you know, you're third done with your life. And so <laughs> keep eating carrots, maybe, you know. <clears throat> you guys, there was an open roast time. Man, you blew it. That was the time. You had a chance to really take me over the coals, and, and really, it was pretty mild. Those of you who've known me for 15 years or so know that I got a lot of really weird, stupid things that I have done over the years that you could have taken, uh, taken me to task with. But the, the roasts were actually very endearing. In fact, um, Pat Conkey, the guy who spoke here last week and pastor of St. Paul Fellowship was there, and he gave a nice roast. And then he sent me an email and he said, uh, I, put, I put a little, he's got a blog, a web blog, you know, a daily journal kind of thing online. And he said, I wrote something about you. I want to read it. Uh, it'll make sense in just a minute while I'm reading. It's called A Long Obedience Underway. Just reading a portion of it. Pat, pastors spend their lives making it up as they go along, learning to preach, learning to teach, learning to listen, learning to care, learning to celebrate at weddings and grieve at funerals, and love always in a manner that shows just a little bit what God's love for us must be like. I have many pastor friends, and not one of them has arrived. Not one of them has done becoming a pastor. <clears throat> so when I praise my friend Steve Treichler, I don't have any interest in making him out to be more than he is or to exaggerate his gifts and his accomplishments, that's not what pastoral ministry is about. Pastoral ministry, in the words of Eugene Peterson, is a long obedience in the same direction. That's a great phrase. <clears throat> Last night at Steve's 40th birthday celebration, I saw a video program that documented his long obedience. While I watched the program that, that his precious wife Carol had assembled, I delighted in God. For the past decade, I've had a good seat at the drama of God's relationship with Steve. To revisit those years on video reminded me that although we are each but a handful of dust, when God breathes the breath of life into us, we become heaven-bound creatures, souls on our way toward transformation and glory. Steve is merely on his way, like all of us, but how far he's already come. He's my teacher, my mentor, my erstwhile softball opponent, my friend. And he has taken on this role in, another un, in other untold lives while managing somehow to raise a family and shepherd a church from conception to thriving obedience. Now, I, I don't read that for my own. I read that because something happened to me that night that I, I, it was really interesting. On Thursday, the week before, is that right, Roland, when your father's funeral? Was it Thursday? The week before, I went to Bob Hilden's 
uh, Mar or Roland's uh, father. Um, on the next Wednesday, I sat here in this right there where Peter's sitting, and I watched the DVD montage of my life. You kind of feel a little bit like you're sitting at your own funeral. You know, people remember the good stuff about you, but they don't really razz on all the, the, the bad stuff. And it's interesting because you start to take your life and realize, wow, that went, that went really fast. Those first 40 years went really fast. And yeah, there's a lot of great memories, and there really is. For those of you who are not familiar with turning 40, which I know is most people in this room, let me give you my four-day perspective of it. <clears throat> First, you realize with a fair amount of peace that you are mortal. I realized that when I turned 25. I don't know what happened to me at 25, but 25, uh, death was no longer just an abstraction. Death was, you know, death was like a reality. At 25, you're young. But for some reason, it just didn't hit me. When I turned 40, you're way past, you're giving up already. You realize that, you know, you're worm food here pretty soon. But you're okay with that. You're okay with the fact. You're not going to live forever in this life and you put your hope in Christ for the next life. Secondly, you're more aware of how precious uh, time really is. Like I said, man, you, I know those of you who are in your 20s in this room and those guys up there that are in your teens, you just think, ah, I got so much time. And you cannot believe how fast time will go, how precious it really is. Let me encourage you right now. I'm making a renewed covenant on my 40th birthday here. I don't have time for grudges. I don't have time for bitterness. I don't have time for unforgiveness. I don't have, I don't have time for that stuff. It's too short. Thirdly, and most importantly, you are amazed at what God has done in your life. Sometimes you do not see God move until you, you know, for me, it was sitting there looking at a period of 40 years from birth to to now, and you go, wow. Now, I'm not claiming any, listen, I'm a simple boy from the Iron Range that God has gotten a hold of. You're amazed at what God has done, and you're excited for what he's going to do for the future. You want to make your life count. This morning, I want to introduce you to a guy in Scripture who is my namesake. I was named after this guy. Actually, it's interesting, my real full name is Stephen Paul. So I was named after two martyrs. I don't know if my mom had a death wish or, or, or what for me, but I was named after two guys who died for their faith in Christ. So if you want to open up your Bible to Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at Stephen this morning at a first of a two-part deal, looking at my namesake and someone who had made his mark in history Huge mark in history, and he's only in two chapters in the Bible. Now, if you remember from our study of the book of Acts, if you've been around for a while, you know that there's been some persecution that has happened to the followers of Jesus. It has happened with Peter. It's, it's happened when he healed a crippled man, and it happened to Peter and John. They had appeared before the Sanhedrin, but, but so far, <coughs> excuse me, so far, None of it has resulted in death. They've been flogged. They were whipped once for being a follower of Christ. If you remember, they went out rejoicing because they were worthy to be whipped. But Stephen's going to be our first guy who's actually going to lose his life for the faith. He's going to be the first one, and he gladly, he gladly gives it up. He, he, and we don't know how old he is here. But 
presumably a younger man. He gives it up. The persecution, the persecution of Christians is going to be so hardcore now from here on. This is Acts, the book of Acts is going to shift with Stephen. From then on, it's a very hazardous thing to be a Christian. It's very dangerous to your health to be a follower of Jesus. From that point on. So Stephen is going to start something. Stephen is going to start persecution. And you know what? It's exactly what God ordered. We're going to find that out in chapter 8 when, when uh, the church starts to spread all over the place because the church has to spread because of this persecution. Okay, now, this week we're going to look at Acts primarily uh, verses 6, 8 through 15. We, a month ago, last time I was here, we did uh, 1 through 7. But I want to read it to you again in context so you kind of follow what's happening with Stephen. So let's just read the first, we'll read the whole chapter, uh, starting with verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Gratian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Remember that they had the two different kinds of, of Christians and some were of Hebrew uh, dis, uh, background and others were more Greek. They were still Jews, but, and they came to, to faith in Christ, but there was a little bit of tension there, a little bit of geography tension with them, and their widows were being overlooked. Verse 2, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnamus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The, numbers of the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Remember, his main job was to handle, to handle this, uh, this food distribution. He was administrator of it. But on the side, he had this thing going. And during that ministry of giving out food, he was involved in a lot of other things. We're going to see one of them is great signs, great wonders, miracles. What happened? People come to Stephen. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's that council, that court. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, first thing I want to do before we dig into what's going on in this passage, I want to introduce you to Stephen. Stephen is a really cool guy. Very cool guy. I just want to show you six characteristics from the passage that are listed out 
about who Stephen was. First characteristic. Just take a look here. It's in, uh, I don't have mirror listed. There we go. It's, it's way down there in the passage. Oh, nope, back up. Uh, five, verse five. What's the first thing? It says he was full of faith. This is from verse five. It says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. What is someone you describe as full of faith? I would say that they are a risk taker for God. They are someone who, who leans back on God and says, God, I'm going to go for it with you. They are crazy people. They're people who do things that you go, what are you doing? Why are you taking that kind of risk for God? Why are you taking your two weeks of vacation to go to China? That's the kind of people Stephen was. He was a risk taker. I think, for me, physical risk is a great analogy for me. Uh, we, we were up rock climbing up at, in Colorado Springs, and, and there's a point where you can go up, 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 up this, this big uh, it's a cliff, about three, 400 feet up, and you come to the very top, and you kind of stick your head out of this crevice, and you're just, it's just a sheer drop-off. And I remember when I was in... Uh, when I was in college at this very same exact place, I had this intense uh, challenge to sit there and let my feet dangle over. I didn't do that again, bad example of the kids. But when I was in college, because <laughs> I wouldn't let them do it, no way. As a parent, your, your standards change. <laughs> but as a, as a young adult, I said, I'm going to sit there and let my feet dangle off. And even when I thought that thought, it went, ooh, you know? You know that kind of ooh thought? I had that thought, and I said, I'm going to do that. And I got up there, and got all the nerve I possibly could, and I let my feet dangle out. I remember praying to God. I said, oh, this scares me spitless to sit in here. Me in heights. Uh-uh. It's not a great thing. That's where God calls you to often in your faith. He often calls you that place where to trust him would seem really, really scary. But to dangle your feet and say, God, I want to trust you. Now, hear me. This is a metaphor. So hear me. When you're sitting there and you're dangling your feet, you often will hear the Lord say, jump. Now, that's a metaphor, children. But don't do that, really, in life. But God will often call you to jump. You will not fully, fully feel the, the arms of God catching you until you jump. And usually... There's a moment, a two, a day, a week, a month, a free fall before he does. Stephen was that kind of guy. He was full of faith. Secondly, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. He'd come to a point in his life where he accepted Christ. Being a Jewish person, he had accepted Christ as the Messiah, as the one who bore his sins. But it, being full of the Holy Spirit means more than just accepting Christ. It means that you're being obedient to Christ and you're following him in your ways. That's what being full of spirit is. When you take those, those risks for God and you say, God, I'm going to do what you say no matter what because you say it's the best thing and it's for my joy and it's for your glory. I'm going to do it. Then you get something happens and you're just filled with the Holy Spirit. Third thing about Stephen. It says that they were set apart along with the other guys, the seven guys. They were set apart by the apostles for this ministry. And, and the apostles came, they laid hands on them and they said, go do it. Now that's important because it's the first time we've seen anyone other than the apostles in the book of Acts, really anyone more than John or Peter, have that kind of authority. And the next thing you know is just these guys that they've given 
power to. They said, you guys got authority. We see Stephen over here, and he's doing signs and wonders and miracles, and whoa, that's really cool. He was set apart, and that's what the Church on Fire is about. It's about people in this church and about people around the whole Twin Cities getting excited for Christ and being set on fire around the cities. Uh, fourth thing, he was full of God's grace. He was a graceful person. Now you need to keep that in mind, especially next week when we look at his defense, because he can seem pretty harsh. But he's actually just speaking truth. He's a graceful, he's a kind guy. Sixth thing, he was full of power. God used this guy in remarkable ways. And the last thing was, is he was incredibly wise and persuasive. He was wise, or the, it says his wisdom, they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. Now, the word spirit there could be capital S, which means Holy, Holy Spirit, <clears throat> or it could be, most people think it is, small s, meaning uh, the wisdom and the persuasive way he spoke. E either way, it's, a, it's the same word in the original language. You can't tell if it's capitalized or not. So there's no real way to know it. But there was something about him. He was wise, he was persuasive, and he really believed what he was living. This is the new guy on the scene. Stephen is the new guy on the scene. And because of Stephen, huge opposition came. In fact... If you look at the passage, it says that opposition came from all over the whole region. These people of the synagogue of the freedmen, which was a political thing. These people were freed from, from slavery, and they became part of this synagogue. But it, it was, it was uh, spread over a whole region, and these people came to challenge Stephen. And they say, how can we get rid of this guy? First way to try to get rid of him is through good, honest debate. That's what they did. They said, go to the next one there, Maddie. Um, ah, one more. It says, uh, these men, verse 9 and a half there, it says, these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. And so, because they couldn't do that, because they couldn't debate him, they're going to destroy him. Look at verse 11 there. It says, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. What they basically is, is Stephen had been saying things, and we'll look at in just a moment what he was saying. But what they had done is they brought this whole uh, kangaroo court together and they said, you know what, if we can't debate you, we're going to take you before the court and we're going to get you in a heap of trouble. They had two accusations against him. Two accusations against him. First of all, he spoke against the temple. And the second one is that he spoke against Moses or the law. He spoke against what was written in the Old Testament. That is huge to remember. I'll say it again next week when, when Stephen gives his defense. He spoke against the temple. And he spoke against the law, the Old Testament, the rules, the Ten Commandments, whatever. All of those things in, in the Old Testament that Moses said you needed to do. Those were the accusations against him. Why would they do that? Why would they say he spoke against this temple? Who, who cares? It's a little law, little known law that F.F. Um, F. Bruce uncovered in one of his commentaries on the book of Acts. Little known law that when the Jewish people 
were under Rome, they could not execute anyone. That's why they couldn't execute Jesus. They had to bring him to the Roman authorities. But there was a little known law that says if someone speaks against the holy place, you can execute him. That's why they brought this up. They wanted to get rid of Stephen. They wanted to kill him. So they said, he has spoken blasphemy against this holy place. Then he goes on to, they go on to say, uh, later on in the passage, it says, for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. Now, Jesus did, in fact, say that. If you look at John chapter 2, and it's on the screen, I don't have it on your insert there. John chapter 2, Jesus having an interaction with the Jews, he says, then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoke of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Stephen is just quoting John chapter 2. Now, if you're like me and you read this passage, you kind of go, what's the big deal? So what? Why would you give your life for this concept? Why is this that important? Why would these people travel all over the country, come to and debate them about whether or not he believes in the temple and whether or not he believes in following the rules of Moses? So what? Who cares? Here's the big deal. The huge difference between classical Judaism, in other words, reject, rejecting Jesus as Messiah, the huge difference between classical Judaism and biblical Christianity comes down to those two questions. And the two questions are simply this. Is there a right geography or a right race to be in order to follow and worship God appropriately? That's question number one. Is there a right geography, a place, a house, a, a country, or is there a right race that I have to be in order so that I can worship God and follow Him appropriately? The second one is, how do I get right with God? How can I have a right relationship with God? And Judaism's answer, classical Judaism that rejects Jesus as the Christ, as the sin bearer, they would say, number one, yes. You either need to be of Israeli descent or a convert to that. And you need to worship in the right place. The temple, right now there isn't a temple. It's been destroyed. But the temple was the place where God res resided. Jesus came along and said, no, the days are over. When Jesus died, he destroyed the temple the same way, because it's unnecessary, the same way that if I'm on a long trip, that I destroy the need for writing letters home when I come home. I don't, I don't need to do that anymore. I'm home now. Secondly, what makes you right with God, they would say you have to follow all the rules of the Old Testament. And, and Jesus says, no, you just need to do one thing. Trust in me as your sin bearer. That's it. 
got to understand, Stephen was a threat to the entire way of life of classical Judaism. So what do they do? What do they do? They put him on trial, and ultimately it's going to be his death. We'll see that next week. How does Stephen respond? Stephen's response is just cool, because there is no real response. It just says that they all looked intently at him, and they looked at him like he had the face of an angel. I don't know if he was good looking. I don't think that's what that means. Uh, although I'm sure that's why I was named Stephen. Um, <laughs> Oh, come on, it's my birthday. I could say at least one thing. Um, no. He had complete peace. The, the, one that, the only other one in Scripture that's talked about their face changing was who? Moses. Moses, Charlton Heston. He's the only one whose face changes when he's with God. Stephen's that close that he sits there and he, he's listening to these accusations and he just takes it. Face of an angel. I want to ask you a question as we close this morning and as we come to the table. When we went out to uh, Colorado Springs, uh, if you read in your on-ramp in the next four weeks, I'm going to talk about our trip out to Colorado for the next four weeks. When we were out in Colorado, uh, we read up in the mountains, Philippians chapter 2, and then when we were on our walk out into the middle of the, if any of you have been out to this particular place, the, the Punch Bowls at, at Glen Erie, um, beautiful hike up in the middle of the, of middle of the Rockies. We read Philippians chapter 3. And that was the same book that I had read when I had spent a summer there. It was the same book that we were studying that summer. And I remember in the summer of 1984 when I was there, I'm dangling my feet over and other, other experiences. I was there for five weeks. I remember thinking, Lord, I give the rest of my life to you. What it is, whatever it is, I want to give the rest of my life to you and follow you wherever you may take me. And it's funny how not being somewhere for many, many years and coming back, that, that hits you again. It's like, yeah. Lord, I want to be bonsai for you. Now, I'm 40. I only got about 40 years left before I start to drool on myself. Some would argue if they come in the middle of the night, they'd say that I do it now. But uh, <clears throat> I want to live the last 40 years like that too. Matter of fact, I want to dial it up a couple notches. I want to live like Stephen, a man who was full of faith, full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit. My encouragement to you, even, be to, even now as we come to the table in just a moment, is to make that decision and want to do that too. Many of you in this room are followers of Christ. I want to call you to being a radical, nut, bonsai follower of Jesus. So sold out to him that there, there would be nothing holding you back. Let's pray together. Lord, um, You truly do amazing work in, in people's lives. And I know that uh, Stephen was probably nothing special other than a person who just decided to trust you. I know I'm nothing special too. And Lord God, I'm in a room with people who are ordinary people. But God, we serve an extraordinary God. 
And so I pray that even by your power and even in this room right now as we worship and as we come to the table that, that you would fill us full of your Holy Spirit. You would give us courage, God, to dangle our feet and to jump if necessary. This morning there might be things in uh, people in this room who've got things that they are at a precipice and they need to jump. And I pray right now, God, that you'd give them the courage to do that. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be bonsai for you, people who just want to live our lives so that it counts. God, I pray that you would set this church on fire. Not the physical building, of course, but every person here. You'd cause us to be people who want to be more and more followers deeply with you. Lord, I pray for people in this room who maybe never have made a simple commitment to you, saying, Jesus Christ, I want you to be my sin bearer. I want you to come into my life and to change me. I want to turn my life over to you. You could do that even where you're sitting right now. And I just pray, God, that you would give people the courage and the wisdom to know how to do that in their own way. So you just pray for that, God, that you'd open hearts up even as I'm speaking right now. And Lord, some of us in this room have wandered. Perhaps today's the day when we're coming back. We're deciding, you know what, Lord, today, today I'm drawing a line in the sand and I want to be like Stephen. I want to step out in faith. God, would you give us the courage to say, Lord, I will take those steps. I want that feeling of, of exhilaration because I'm following you. Would you help us to do that now, even as we come to the table in Jesus' name?